This week's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible is the leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com and use the code MUGGLE. Hello, this is David Heyman, and I'm the producer of the Harry Potter films, and this is MuggleCast. Because it's our final episode of the year, this is MuggleCast, episode 217, for December the 26th, 2010. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 217. It's our final episode of the year 2010. You had me there for a moment. You're like, it's our final episode. Of ever. Of the year. No, just the year. We're coming off our awesome year in review show. We had a great time. Thanks everyone who uh, tuned in on Ustream to watch us record it live. Or if you've listened now, I bet you wish you were voting in those polls because we... There's some fierce competition going on in the in the live voting that we did. It was a lot of fun. So, yeah, thanks everyone who participated and helped us out with that. It's uh, Micah, Eric, Richard, and I this week. Richard, you're buried in, aren't you? Isn't the whole country of England like under ten feet of snow right now? England and Scotland, Andrew. I like to remember. Oh, on Scotland. So, so Great Britain collectively. Yes, exactly. There is about a foot and a half of snow barricading my door, which can't be opened at the moment. And that's the only reason you're on MuggleCast, because you're snowed in. I have nothing better to do. <laughs> that's not an excuse. Don't you have windows? <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on the third floor. I, I would die if I climbed out. All right, so we have lots. This is going to be a big mailbag show this episode because we've been getting so much email. Well, this is just one of those shows, you know, it's the end of the year where you go and you clean out the mailbox. Right. And- it's spring, it's winter cleaning. So let's get started. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Mike Tannenbaum. And I'm Richard Reed. Micah, what's in the news as we approach the new year? It's kind of a slow time since everyone's not working. Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still working. Oh. <laughs> we can't all be on vacation in uh, New Jersey, Andrew. I'm not vacationing. I'm working. Yeah, I don't think I'd choose New Jersey, but... I'm working right now. Are you? Well, MuggleCast. Oh, this is yeah. work. You're, you're right. I'm sweating bullets. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, you posted uh, earlier this week that there's some changes that are happening down in Orlando at the Wizarding World. It's uh, getting into the uh, 
the holiday spirit. Some things that are uh, being added to uh, different buildings and inside different stores. And uh, this is something that we thought may have happened a little bit earlier, maybe even with Halloween, uh, given the the nature of the Potter books. But uh, they seem to be doing a little bit uh, for uh, for Christmas. And, yeah, uh, luckily. One of our site visitors uh, sent in uh, a recap with some photos so uh, people can check it out on MuggleNet. Yeah, my going to visitor reader Hillary, who we've all uh, met before, especially this past summer. Um, yeah, she took lots of pictures for us, which we really appreciated. And and what's interesting is that these are all specifically approved. All this decor is specifically approved by J.K. Rowling and Warner Brothers. So in a way, it's sort of like a new look at what holiday holiday decorations look like in the Wizarding World, the the book version. You know, so so these are all approved by her, right? So J.K. Rowling looks at each one and is like, "Oh yes, yes, I like this. I like this." The thing that's so interesting is that uh, noticeably absent from the park is a Christmas tree. Yes, and this is this is was touched on in Hillary's review because, well, she noticed this too and actually asked one of the one of the staffers. Apparently, they, they said that they just didn't get it approved. Fast enough. They said, really, there just wasn't time. We had to go forward with what was approved, and they didn't approve it in time. Why do you think this is? It seems like a Christmas tree would be the first thing that J.K. Rowling would would approve because, you know, the Christmas trees at Hogwarts, as we see in the films, are always, you know, so decorative. Was there some kind of hesitation here, or, or what's going on? I think they're, they probably just had some discrepancies, like they weren't maybe some design issues that Universal came to them first, and then Joe was like, "Ah, eh, change this because this is." And then they, then Universal changed it, and then Joe again was like, "Ah, eh, I don't know, I don't know." And so uh, it probably just kept going back and forth like that. And uh, but they said definitely next year there will be a tree. Yeah, by all accounts. And I, I wrote in the news post, maybe it'll look like the one in the Sorcerer's Stone film. Um, everybody probably kind of remembers what that looks like. Uh, it, if it not, looks, you put a little picture. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a picture there on MuggleNet. It's a lot of gold ornaments. Very tall tree. Very, very, very tall tree. Um, star on the top. Um, I'm not sure what the particular ornaments were, but I imagine they want to do something like that. So, Well, I, w- I was just shocked that they didn't decorate sooner, you know, because it's been open. The park has been open for six months now, and they didn't decorate for Harry's birthday. They didn't decorate for Halloween. You know, Halloween is arguably a bigger holiday than Christmas in the books. You know, in cri- Christmas in the books, a lot of people are away from Hogwarts. And, you know, Halloween is when Harry's parents were killed. It's, you know, Halloween is when all this action happens in the books. So they didn't decorate. I think Universal is still getting their... Um, act their, together. But yeah, their act together at the park. I mean, it just opened. So I agree with that, though. I, I think, though, to not have the foresight to, to plan these things in the park... And I, I mean, they knew it was going to be successful when it opened, and they knew that they could potentially have people return for events like this. You know, if if you're if you're dressing up the park for Halloween or Christmas, yeah, or but they other didn't. events, it, it's poor planning. No, no, I disagree. They didn't need to bring people back over the holidays because people were just coming this year just because it was the grand opening. This whole, this whole, you know, still people are still coming into the park for the first time. They don't need to be bringing people back right now, but they will. They will in future years, I'm sure. Anyway, what else is going on in the news? Well, Deathly Hallows is still out in theaters, and it probably will be for quite a while, uh, but as of December the 12th, uh, the the grand total stood at $778 million worldwide. The movie, surprisingly, hasn't done very well domestically. 
it's it's done extremely well and, it, and it's remained number one for a number of weeks overseas. And uh, I think a large part of that had to do with the fact that it was still opening up in a number of markets throughout the end of November. Uh, but you know, it's going to be interesting to see how far this film will climb right now on uh, the Box Office Mojo website. It's at number thirty-one all time. Uh, so it, it'll move its way into the top 25, I think, without a problem, uh, just because those uh, differences in, in, in millions of dollars are, are not that drastically different. So, uh, But we all thought when this film first opened that it, with the huge opening weekend that it had, it was going to you know, move its way into the top 10. I'm not so sure about that anymore. Well, yeah, you, you thought it would move into the top 10, not, not everyone. No, no. If you actually read the comments on the site, everybody says, "Oh, it's going to break a billion dollars. It's going to shatter Avatar's record. It's going to make its way to oh, the top ten. Oh, come 10. on! It wasn't going to shatter Avatar's record. Well, I know that, but I'm saying you're, you're putting the blame on me. I'm saying oh. go look at the comments from the first post. I don't. I don't read the comments. I just, I because I because I know I'll get in there inaccurate information like that. You shouldn't admit that on the show. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I, I mean, it, that's still uh, you know a considerable amount of money. There's, oh yeah, there's no question about, it. and it, it will keep going up. Um, you know, probably into the new year. Much at a much slower rate, though. Very I mean, much. Yeah. Maybe much maybe the holidays rate. will help a little bit as well. Families going to see it, extra downtime because people are off work. You know. Yeah, you know, I I thought that also though with uh, the Thanksgiving holiday, but it that didn't really help <laughs> that, that much. It's well, Potter's different because everybody goes. Everybody wants to go as soon as it opens, I guess. Right. You know? So the return. Well, it's also could it. What's hurting it really? Like, is it that it's part one and part two? Are people unsure? You know, and nothing's hurting it. But I think. Uh, well, I think what is hurting it is I think there's growing animosity towards it from non fans. People are just like, oh, when is this franchise going to end But already? that's always already been on there. Seven? That's always been yeah, there. Yeah, but, but now more than ever, because now there's seven films Well, out, I, I so, gotta tell and, you, I'm already like that about Twilight. <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> they well, got, what, two more films? Come on, really? Well, you're just not a tryhard. Uh, but but see, people are saying about that that about Harry Potter, too, and not because not I mean, the, you know, some people who just aren't in the loop just are like, wow, what the hell? Yeah, and I'm looking at it now. It's it's got 783.9 million. So that that's probably the additional domestic total from this week, and then they'll add in the foreign totals probably sometime tonight or tomorrow. And it it should move up into the 20s, I would think. Um, as we've mentioned on the show before, Prisoner of Azkaban is the only Potter film that's not in the top 25 uh, in terms of highest-grossing films of all time. And before we move on, we want to remind everyone that this episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create and manage a high-quality website or blog. Create a website that's uniquely you to display your photos from Flickr, a blog you've been thinking about starting, or the tweets and RSS feeds you like the most, all in the design and colors of your choice. Whatever you want to communicate, you can say it easily and with style with Squarespace. They also have an iPhone app, which makes it easy to update your site while you're on the go. Try it all out today for free. Visit squarespace.com and sign up for a free trial. Then choose a design template to get started. No credit card needed. Just give it a try to build your website. Then if you decide to purchase, enter code MUGGLE to receive 10% off for six months. That's squarespace.com offer code MUGGLE. We thank Squarespace for their support of MuggleCast. 
This week's episode is also brought to you by Audible.com. The Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of MuggleCast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is The Hunger Games, a thrilling young adult novel that's actually part of a great trilogy. Nearly all the hosts of MuggleCast have read it, and we all really highly recommend it. So for a free audiobook of your choice, such as The Hunger Games, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast. Oh, final bit of news uh, for this show and for this year. Uh, you know, looking forward into 2011, uh, we got a bit of a rumor uh, in the tips box today that the uh, teaser trailer for Deathly Hallows Part 2 Maybe due out on January the twenty fourth. Ah, yeah. Um. So we we are we tend to be skeptical when we get these rumors. But I asked the guy who provided the information with if he could share more info. And what he was saying, you know, I I I'm trying to I'm trusting him. So, you know, it's definitely not official. It's not confirmed. We also looked at movies that are coming out in January to see what. Um, film the trailer could be attached to, but nothing really stood out. So it's just a rumor for now. We like to post these because one, it gets people excited, and two, usually they're around, they're kind, they tend to be accurate. So unless Warner Brothers makes a big change, I, I expect we could see a trailer at the end of January or the beginning of February. Movie trailers make me very nervous. Why is that? Why? Because as MuggleNet server administrator, that means I really sweat that week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, is MuggleNet vulnerable to, to hit high wall. traffic? Yeah. What happens is we can't even get the trailer onto the site because right. people crash the site before we even make the post. Well, it sounds like we need a better server. We've only been doing this 11, 13 years. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just insulted our server admin. Well, um,. We'll keep everyone updated on that, but yeah, for now, it's a big, big rumor. Speaking of that, though, uh, you know, just maybe we can talk about this for a minute. The weekend that Deathly Hallows Part 2 is released, or I guess during the week in the summertime, you know, looking at some of the other movies that uh, are going to be coming out that week, uh, I don't really think that any of them are going to have uh, a chance to, well, to take and, away and- from sales. Right, but what happens is when Harry Potter, um, when Warner Brothers schedules a date for Harry Potter, no other studio tries to put one of their big films near it because they know they're not because they know Harry Potter would hurt them. So the films that are have audiences that studios think would not be interested in Harry Potter, they put their films there. Yeah, I mean, I think though, from a kid standpoint. And and I know really this movie is is not a, is not a kids movie at this point because of you know some of the violence that's going to take place. But you look at Winnie the Pooh. I mean that's going to get absolutely crucified by Deathly Hallows. I don't know about that. When's it come out? The same day. Well, Winnie the Pooh See, has. I think that would detract. Winnie the Pooh has a, a huge following of adults. Really, I think. Well, if it's really good, I'm actually surprised. Yeah, because Winnie the Pooh. I don't. I would see Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Maybe the next weekend, not the same weekend. I don't know. That's weird. That is strange. Maybe they'll move it. Who knows? We'll see. Anything else going on? Is this the final big news story of 2010? It it is, and it's fitting, isn't it? I mean, 
it's yeah. forward looking. You know, we, we talked at the end of the last episode about, uh, you know, stories to look forward to in 2011. And, and I mean, right now there, there aren't too many other than, uh, the finale. Well, okay, guys, do you think, do you think 2011 is going to be the year that JK Rowling writes a second tweet on Twitter? Or <laughs> how many? Well, she, she has she has done a second tweet. It was the same as the first one. Right, right. Well, you know, and, and I'm sure. I think last year at the end of uh, 2009, we speculated that maybe J.K. Rowling will make a big announcement, but of course, it never happened. So, so why didn't it happen? So we could. So what here, is she doing? I even we could. I I expected even more news articles about what she's doing now. You know. Yeah, like rumors or. If somebody was smart, is one if one of those tabloids was smart, they would they would spark a rumor. I mean, that would get tons of press. They're too afraid she might sue them now. <laughs> oh, maybe she, she tends to win. I think so. That's a good point. Well, I mean, what about the encyclopedia? We talk about it a lot, but what's the reality of it actually being published next year? Uh, I mean, we don't know where she's at with it. We well, assume I, that she's been writing, and she calls it an encyclopedia, which worries me because I'm always thinking it's like the untold stories, you know. As opposed to what, like, the lexicon did, which, you know, breaks everything out. So, will it be like a behind the scenes thing, or, or, like, what's the deal with that? What kind of book do you think it'll be when she writes it? I think it'll be primarily info. You know how we've always heard she's, she has boxes and boxes of notes. notes. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, I think it's going to be all that. Cool. Um, I think if it was redundant information, like, you know, stuff we've already learned through the books, there may be some of that, but I think the primary focus and the big sell is that it's going to be, all this stuff that, yeah. But exactly. so essentially, it's already written. So why isn't it out yet? Because they. <laughs> you know, I'm asking you, I'm sure, Andrew well, Sims. <laughs> I, I bet. I bet she's not in a rush to release release it. I mean, really, what is the rush to get it out? And two, I think they want to make put really. They want to make it. They want to make it perfect. They only want to put out one of these. So do they, do they make it as perfect as possible? True. And uh, it'll be a good sell. Do they want? Do they want people like us to be asking, what's J.K. Rowling up to <laughs> right about now? Yeah. Well, people uh, yeah. want to know. I mean, it, it's funny sometimes the emails that we get about what's J.K. Rowling up to, why hasn't she updated her Twitter, why hasn't she updated her website. It's not like we know. <laughs> if we knew... Uh, <laughs> We'd post it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would go out on a limb, and I could be completely off here, but I, I would say that if it were to be released, it'll be released in, in July of 2011, if she's going to do it next year. See, I was going to say that it wouldn't be released, yeah, because Christmas. that's the... Why, well, why would they release it when the movie's coming out? I don't think they want the attention... Well, they did that for movie five, movie to be and book part. seven were, like, two weeks apart. Yeah, but that's just that that that's just sort of had to be, because WB had to put it in the summer, and J.K. Rowling, what, and they love the book and movie releases to be summer, but I don't think it's as much of a priority for a... a um. Well, I mean, like, look at Beetle the Bard. That was released in the wintertime. I don't think we'll see the book in the next two years, personally. Two years? Oh, come on. I think she's enjoying having a Potter-free time at the moment, working on some other well, material. She's had a Potter-free time for three years it's now. It's true. <laughs> it, it really has been three years, though, which is, I mean, occasionally... Like, she'll show up on the red carpet in places, but she doesn't really say anything and just looks nice. That's true, but I guess with all the, the media attention that the film's getting, that Potter is still in the, you know, it's in the public domain. I think she'll wait till it subsides a bit, then release it and get everyone excited all over again. Do you think every time a new movie comes out, she's like, "Oh, I'm so exhausted. I need at least another five years before I can write Potter." <laughs> I think she's probably thinking, "God, not another one." 
But still, she she can't, was working. Can't you go over and talk to her though, Richard? Sorry. Can't you just walk down the street and talk to her? Well, I could, but I'm snowed in. Remember. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Otherwise, you would right now. <laughs> exactly. How close is she? Oh, about 150 miles. <laughs> miles. So you could drive there. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I could drive there. If your car wasn't. <laughs> if my car wasn't stolen, yeah. It's it's a bit of Scotland I've been to quite a lot. It's the capital, Edinburgh. We should work on that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, that does it for news. And our impromptu discussion about when the hell the encyclopedia will be yeah. released. I thought it was a good transition into, you know, the mailbag, because people are asking via email. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yep. And um, so, yeah, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, it's going to be a mailbag show. we got lots of emails to catch up on. And as well as some tweets, too, because we asked people um, when, or, we, you know, we asked, is there anything burning burning question that you that you would like to ask us and also finally we have the emails from the weird places people listen to MuggleCast. we did that a um we asked for that a few episodes ago and now we have time for them so it's all good uh richard could you read that first email please from elizabeth okay this is elizabeth who's 17 from utah and she's uh, writing in to say to us that I did a little bit of research, and if I'm not mistaken, his name is pronounced Desplat, not Desplat. Remember, the T is usually silent in French words when it's at the very end. For example, Voldemort is pronounced Voldemort. Ah, that's true. Yes, there's a big debate about this on episode 216. Jamie called me out, and I still stand by Desplat. But, but Elizabeth raises a good point. Voldemort, Voldemort, Desplat, Desplat. Well, so. I really just think it's it's a matter of Americanizing his name because yeah. if if you look at a lot of other French people, what happens is their last name or even their first names we take it and we Americanize it so that you know it sounds right to us, even though it's not really right um, overall. But yeah, uh, I, I think that's what the media call him, though. To be honest. Don't don't they call him Desplat in the in, when you hear his name on television and, and in other places? When, when have you I heard his know. name on television? Uh, never, but that's not the point. Oh, yeah, then yes, I agree with you, Mike. <laughs> so she's saying it's it's Desplat. De I think the S is silence as well. Yeah. Next email comes from Alley Twenty Three of Pittsburgh. Hey guys, I have a question about the movie, specifically the Godric's Hollow scene, and I'm pretty sure you haven't talked about it before. So, when Harry and Bathilda are upstairs and Bathilda turns to Nagini, they bust through a wall and it's a nursery. I thought it was Harry's nursery and it's like a flashback or something, but it's still there. Maybe I just need to see it again to get it, but I'm looking to you to help me with it for now. Thanks for the help. You guys are awesome. Best podcast out there. I once tried to get my own together and it got nowhere, so now I just argue with you guys while I listen to it. Thanks, Allie. So, um... Oh, and she has a she has a contribution to the weirdest places to listen to MuggleCast. She says, I've been listening to some of the latest shows as I sit and clean all alone in a vet office while my boss is away. How's that for a weird spot? I expect to get through a lot over the next few days. So what, Eric, do you know what that nursery yeah, was? Yeah, it's I, I've tried to think about this, too, because it's weird to me, but... It's really just a nursery of the adjacent house, of the house adjacent to Bethilda Bagshot. So the snake tackles Harry. He goes through the wall, literally into the the other building, you know, the other house that is um, attached to Bethilda's. However, there's a few things that don't make sense. And somebody said to me, and I, I completely agree, why is the nursery so, she said, surgically clean? 
because it is it's 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 a very bright white in the nursery it feels like a like a you know a medical room doesn't it i mean it's so i think they could have done something in the set dressing you know to like convey that a little bit better because it it, it does look like it's a child's room and it you know given that this is harry's birthplace it kind of you know feels a little weird and out of place without explanation I thought it was a it was a tie back to what happened, uh, you know, all those years ago when when Voldemort first killed his parents. Because here's, you know, Harry essentially going up against Voldemort again, albeit in a different form, in a Horcrux form. Uh, but you know, he returns to Godric's Hollow and and he's facing him again in the very same place that his parents were killed all those years ago. So you know, I thought that was kind of what David Yates was getting at, David Heyman was getting at. Uh, but you're. You're right. It, it, it's just this complete bright space that comes out of nowhere, and it doesn't seem to fit in with the rest right. of, of what's going maybe on it was, in the film. Maybe it was easier for them to show the snake against the white light as opposed to the dark. But, like, that's my other problem with it is that Bethilda's house is, like, rotting away, like, the floorboards and there's, there's flies. And granted, that's because something just died in there. But, you know, to have the next house over be so clean and so almost, like, renovated, you know, is, is completely... Uh, you know, it's off-putting. Like, it just, it just didn't make sense. Like, this reader thought it was possibly a flashback, and that makes sense to me, you know, how you could make that Well, mistake. I don't think it would be a... It, I don't think it's a flashback. I think it's kind of a nod No, it's to, very much happening in that moment, but... Right. And and it's, it could also just be a complete contrast between what's going on, you know, in the wizarding world versus what's going on in, in the real world, where, uh, you know, people have absolutely no idea of what, what's really happening. The, the point being that you know, here's this perfectly normal household sitting next to a house where, you know, all these terrible things are are happening. And yeah, that's a really I good think, point. Yeah, I think it shows like a sharp contrast. But it was it was also, I think, in a way, a a, a nod towards this, what happened to Harry. I mean, that's what I initially thought of. It, right back from Sorcerer's Stone. Eric, can you take next? Yep, one? this one comes from. Carolyn from Santa Barbara. Uh, she says, Hey guys, I was writing in because I found an interesting connection between JKR's title for Dumbledore's biography by Rita Skeeter and a biography written about someone in Hitler's inner circle. I work in my college's interlibrary loan department where we borrow books from other libraries to help out students who need research that our own library doesn't carry. I was processing a bunch of books on World War II and came across a book titled The Life and Lies of Albert Speer released in 1997. For those of you who don't know, Speer was a German architect who became part of Hitler's circle just before World War II. He designed many buildings in Germany before and during the war and was part of the Nuremberg trials. Witnesses say that at the trial, he was one of the few people who spoke honestly about his role in the war and made no attempt to shirk his own guilt. In his book, the author talks about how Speer should have been given the death sentence, but wasn't because the jury felt that he tried to stop Hitler towards the end of the war. In the author's mind, people were idiots for thinking that Speer was unknowledgeable about the con concentration camps. Speer was sentenced to 20 years at Nuremberg Prison, calling to mind Grindelwald's imprisonment there. Speer was released in 1966 after serving his sentence. For the rest of his life, he made steady contributions to Jewish charities, much like Dumbledore championed hard for Muggleborns. Sorry about the long email. I was just curious to your thoughts on the connection, not only between Spear and Dumbledore, but also Spear and Grindelwald. Do you think J.K.R. got the idea of the title from this book? I wish I could ask her. Love the show. Thanks. Um, this is fascinating. Yeah. 
I would say this this must have been an influence. Let's call her. Richard, would you go down the street? And, uh, <laughs> Richard, ring her doorbell? Richard, brave the snowman. <sighs> sure, BRB. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but no, and particularly about um, this per- spear being honest in his one of the people. What was the quote? One of the few people who spoke honestly about his role in the war and made no attempts to skirk his own guilt. I mean, in a way, it's sort of like these people who Rita interviewed being allegedly honest. Yeah. Like, um, um, the other things, too, like Dumbledore really, I feel like, well, he didn't really come clean until he had to, but when he did, you know, when Harry asked him or or whatever, he, you know, he said, yes, I, I, I feel like I was responsible for my sister's death. I really was into these hallows. I thought I could bring her back, and I made a terrible mistake in regards to Grindelwald. And I think that, that this reader, this writer, Carolyn, has, has, has made some really compelling uh, connections. Um, between Dumbledore and this this Albert Spear, not to mention the similarity of the first name. So one of these questions we'll have to keep in mind. Yeah, very, very our, cool. Our, when, when Richard's able to dig her out of the snow. Or when we interview her. Yeah, that too. In the year 2050. Uh, Micah, can you take the next email? Sure. The next email comes from Stephanie, 33, of Montreal. And uh, sh- she's writing in about Alan Rickman says, hey guys, big fan of the show. I love Deathly Hallows Part 1 review with all your references, sorry, all your differences of opinion. However, I'm surprised nobody mentioned the amazing acting job done by Alan Rickman in Malfoy Manor when the Muggle Studies teacher was pleading with him to help her. His expression conveyed a hint of guilt and sadness when she was killed, while at the same time trying to keep up appearances for Voldemort. Uh, His performance was so powerful and even more impressive because he didn't speak at all beautiful performance that scene blew me away thanks for reading yeah he's one of those people that i think haven't read the books right yeah i get that impression too yeah i think his excuse was like i don't want to be spoiled or something like that with um with alan rickman i thought he had a stipulation before taking the part that he needed to know if this character lived or died I swear that that was... Uh, well, well I thought, we know that I th- Joe told him something yeah. that he couldn't reveal. I think it was it was not to do with him being in love with, with Lily. Yeah, that's what everyone thinks. He he hasn't said it yet. Or no, no, Joe Joe did reveal that. But but Alan is still being all quiet, because I guess he doesn't well, know I that think, Joe I think has what it is, it. Isn't he the one... He, he's read, I think, all the books, but he won't talk about his role in Potter because he doesn't want to spoil people who didn't read, children who didn't read. Is this another actor that I'm not thinking of? Nope. No, no. That's exactly right. That's why he wouldn't spoil the secret. So, But anyway, but I mean, yeah, he, he did an excellent job in this film. And like I've said, the Malfoy Manor scenes were some of my favorite, and that's because, partially, because of Snape. Snape. Yeah. Just an example that we have these great uh, British actors who are, you know, essentially – you know, just just overlooked. Well, not overlooked, but th- there are so many of them. You know, and and so when they do get the screen to focus on them, they they shine. You know. The next Ian, uh, next email comes from Ian, who's sixteen from Newburgh, Indiana, and he says, uh, "Hey guys, I just wanted to say some stuff about your predictions 
about your predictions about Harry Potter's chances at the Academy Awards the next couple of years. Now, now that the Best Picture list is at the 10, it's safe to assume that one or both Deathly Hallows films would be at least get nominated. However, neither has even the slightest chance of winning. You've got to think about how the Academy works. They like dry, artsy movies that most people have never heard of that cover historical events, modern hot topics, and emotional dramas that showcase the return of a previously washed-up actor or director. Harsh! Um, Harry Potter is going to be like The Dark Knight or District 9. Wonderful movies that aren't recognised because they feature aliens and clowns. So yeah, this is the year the contenders will be Black Swan, The King's Speech and The Fighter. The other two in the top five will be 127 Hours and maybe True Grit. Um... Another five movies will simply be included it's around in the top ten, but Harry Potter will never win Best Picture. Surely Lord of the Rings won, but it got three movies consistently nominated for several awards and was the end of a sweeping epic trilogy. They were each three hours long and featured ensemble casts, and even that was a stretch. It kind of sucks, but it's kind of how the Academy system works. They're old, pretentious people who are stuck in tradition. It's best not to get upset over the, wo- the awards snubs. They aren't really a huge deal. But hey, it'll probably win some BAFTAs. That yeah, was I harsher mean, it, than my first review of Deathly Hallows. I completely agree. I completely agree. We found uh, this guy from, what do you say, Newbura, Indiana? <laughs> who's, who's, I think it's New... Or Newburgh, Newburgh. here is yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I think, I think you did everybody in Indiana a favor there. Desplat. You did them a favor. But, uh, but yeah, this guy's there, harsh, There's a town next to me called Newbura. He's, he's lost, he's lost faith, uh, in the academy. What do you guys think? I think he's right. I think he's spot on. I think he's right, too. Particularly with the artsy comment, Harry Potter isn't artsy. And they do pick artsy films. I mean, look at look at Slumdog Millionaire, how that cleaned up a couple of years ago. Look at what David Yates is doing. David Yates, I, I feel like Deathly Hallows feels uh, similar to how Slumdog did. Sure, you don't have the, the harsh, you know, maybe tone, the drama part of it, for instance. But, you know, I, I still feel like David Yates is making quality adult films. I don't think... You know, just because you know, mm. it's like what well, people think, credit. What what it comes yeah. down to, I I think the what it always comes back to though is that there's not enough character development throughout the course of these films because you have so many of them, and you know it, it, it's not like you can single out Ray Fiennes for Voldemort without looking at him throughout the entire series. The same thing with Alan Rickman. The same thing really with the trio as a whole. And and that and I think you've brought this up before on the show, Eric. It, it, it's about character development a lot of the time as well. And you know, when you're in a two and a half hour movie, let's say, you know, some of these other films that are listed, you get to know a lot more about the characters, whereas, you know, it, that's not always the case in Harry Potter. Well it's 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 true. However, I, I feel like a lot of people credit Alfonso Cuaron with you know, really making the the best film. A lot of people still say that Prisoner of Azkaban is their favorite film because it's so adult and it's so, you know, like a real film. It plays, you know, the cinematography. And I feel like it's a, it's an insult for David Yates not to get that same credit because even, you know, the three and eventually four films that he's done, the three we've seen have changed so much in terms of, you know, all of them feel different, all of them play differently. You know, we had the montages in five and the, the interesting camera angles in six and in seven there's just, you know, an insane amount of of mood and to to not be recognized for his work by the American audience where the films I feel are the most popular or the you know the series maybe even I, I feel like it's an insult and maybe that's well, the way at least kind of we works. know that WB is trying to get it um, 
promoted. I mean, they have um, a site called Warner Bros. 2010.com, <laughs> and it's a four-year consideration site. So um, <clears throat> people in the Academy can go out and see screenings of it, and they can get more information about the film. And there's also a four-year consideration flyer, so they're trying. They are trying. Next email comes from Zach, 16 of Lewistown. He writes, something that may make a good discussion or to think among yourselves would be how in the movie they just went and did it and showed no preparation. I think he's writing concerning the, uh, or, yeah, yeah. In the book, they spend days preparing. Also, Creature. I don't remember whether or not Harry gave the fake locket to Creature. I need to watch the movie again. Only saw it once. However, there's no change whatsoever in Creature, which I believe is important. In the book, Creature changes completely towards the trio, and he's almost like Dobby and away, trying to please him. So yeah, and that was one of my favorite things, too. Um, and maybe we'll see that in part two, as Creature's shift um, I, in attitude. I don't think so. I just think they didn't add reprieves in for a lot of characters. Creature's one of them. Pettigrew was another one. I just think they didn't have time to add it in, so they left Yeah, it I think with Creature, though, it's so upsetting when they try and go back to Grimald Place after the Ministry, and they can't because that guy has taken hold, and now he knows there. Like, there's that moment in the book where Harry's like, oh, man, Creature and I were just turning over a new leaf, and now I have to leave him, and I can't even explain to him that I'm leaving him. Like, how would they have translated that to the film? It just seems like it's an emotional moment, of course, in, you know, in the books where he feels bad. But it just doesn't seem like you know it would have slowed the it would have slowed the film down. I think. Yeah. Did did he give him the locket? I know he he dangles it out. <laughs> yeah, in front I don't know. Of him. He did give him it. Oh, in the films. Oh. Um. Yeah, the films. Yeah. Well, you know, I agree with with what you guys are saying, and and I think that you know if if we were doing the review show again, this would be something that we included that that was left out. Um, but I agree with what Zach's saying. The ministry scene developed very quickly. It was one of those things where. You know, they just kind of talked about, okay, we need to infiltrate the ministry. And then, and they then did. the next scene, well, they're outside actually, uh, that's, know, on the streets of London. Yeah, so, that's something I feel about the book, though. I would defend that to the end, that, that in the book, they have these long periods of planning, you know, to get into the ministry. It's weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Well, think of what you're infiltrating. It's like infiltrating the White okay, House. Okay, fine. Fair point. Except the fact of the matter is when they go into the ministry, everything happens so quickly that they have to improvise and none of their planning actually winds up with them being that successful. Like it's it's all about – like especially in Gringotts maybe later on. But it just felt like even in the ministry, everything was ha- that was happening you know, had nothing to do with how much they prepared. It was just all who they meet up with at what junction. And, you know, who they were able to impose themselves as. I guess, didn't they choose in the book who they were going to uh, impersonate? Like, who specifically? Or, you know, so that's that's an important distinction. But it, it was from weeks of studying. That that was the whole point. Yeah, and, you know, th- that's just one of those things. There's not time to see that. Oh, it yeah, you, been can't, nice. you can't develop that. No, it would no have. It would have been nice to see the build-up because that that would have been some nice tension building. Like, oh my gosh, will all this planning be worth it? But um, yeah, that's 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 one of those easy things that I think it's cut very early on. Like, yeah. okay, we did not I mean, need in the all film, this planning. And I'll say this right now. I'll say this right now. If creature does not run into the final battle with a frying pan in his hand, I will rate the movie like a notch lo- lower before it even comes out. <laughs> yeah. Because that's just one of the greatest scenes to read yeah. in Deathly Hallows, with him just leading the charge of house elves. My other favorite scene know. is when McGonagall shout in charge and all the tables come running after her. Yeah. Yeah, that, has to, be, that oh. has to be pretty cool. 
There is something. There is something like that in the film where McGonagall takes charge. Do you? How do you know this? Um, Andrew can confirm. I may, if I was a betting man, I may or may not have seen it with my own two eyes. What about? But it's not about tables. No, he he wouldn't have seen. Well, at least not the thing that I was witnessing. Anyway, can I get the next one? Yeah, go for it. All right, next email comes from Caitlin, sixteen of Melbourne, Australia. Uh, she says, hey guys, I loved your discussions on the movie and wanted to share my thoughts on Hedwig's death. This is probably a bit late to write in. In the movie, Hedwig's death is noble, better for her, but generally any change upsets me, and this time I have a reason. J.K. Rowling said ages ago that Hedwig died because it was Harry's last childhood possession. Hedwig needed to die helplessly, like in the book, to show that Harry was entering the big bad world. It's scary, brutal, and unfair, and no one can do anything about it. I love Hedwig, but I think her death should have been as Joe had written it. I love you all, and have a Merry Christmas, love, Caitlin. Caitlin. You know, I think she brings up a valid point, but I think this one had just as much emotion attached to it. Yeah. Hedwig, I mean, Harry has that thing where he's like, oh my god, that's my bird. Like, my freaking bird is dead. Yeah. But so many people, that's the other thing. Films have been spread out over, sure, the books were too, but if you read them really fast, you know, so many people have been dying in the Harry Potter films, even up to this point. The movie is centered around the death of Cedric in four. It's leading up to it. And the movie's centered around Sirius's death in movie five. And, you know, Dumbledore's death in movie six, there's this huge epic death in the last three films that anybody watching these movies, you know, it just seems like, uh, you know, for, for Hedwig to be Harry's last possession, you know, that's dead, it, it's true, but it just does not have the same impact that it does in the books. Yeah, I don't know that it would it have had the same impact on screen, you know, if, if Hedwig was cooped up we in the cage. We show Hedwig, Hedwig actually is more of an impact, I would argue, because Hedwig is behaving heroically. And, you know, whereas in the book, she just kind of pecks Harry when he doesn't feed her right. You know, yeah, no, so I, I, what I'm saying, though, is if they had shot it like the book and she was in her cage and she gets hit with the spell, would that have had the same impact on people as her, you know, flying in front and taking the curse and falling out of the sky? That's true. Cause you because remember, really in the, the book, Harry, um, you know, basically lights the cage on fire. To and, prevent it from... Yeah. So it, it it's definitely drastically different than in in the book. I'm just wondering if it's going to have the same impact on people. I don't know. I, if I I thought it, the way it was in the movie, I'm not saying it's better than the book. I'm I'm just saying it served more of a purpose. I thought for the audience, you know, seeing it that way. I don't. I I'm on the fence about it. I, I think both were really great. Um, Mike, can you take the next email? Yeah, next uh, email comes from Julia. Oh, I hope. that's a nice way to spell Julia. If that's really her name. <laughs> I'm not messing it up. <laughs> what would it be, Giulia? <laughs> no, I, th- no. I think it's Julia. I hope, anyway. Uh, 14 from B- Brisbane, Australia. And uh, she says, everyone has been saying that Dan's acting, oh, this, this one's for you, Richard, uh, wasn't up to scratch in Deathly <laughs> Hallows Part 1. Dan's acting has been consistent throughout all the films. There's, re- There really has been no change. In Deathly Hallows, there was no really big emotional scenes for him apart from Dobby's death, which he did really well. People have been backing him into a corner with this film because he didn't need to do anything different. In this film, he didn't go through the same dramatic emotional changes as Ron and Hermione. Rupert and Emma's character showed a huge amount of growth in this film, 
there were many emotion-filled scenes which were strongly based around their characters. These were scenes that they hadn't faced before in the previous films, so they really were challenging themselves with their acting. This is why they were the standout actors. There was nothing wrong with Dan's acting in the film, it's just that Harry didn't emotionally grow as much in this film as Ron and Hermione. Dan didn't need to challenge himself because Harry didn't face those emotional challenges. That's a good point, actually, that... You know, Harry has some character development, actually a lot of it, coming, but it's at the end, when he has to choose, well, at the beginning of the next film, I presume, when he has to choose Hallows or Horcruxes, which was a big deal in the books, but also at the end when he's choosing life over death, you know, when he has to go face Voldemort. That, I feel like, is going to be really big for Dan, and and Dan's got a challenge because he has to make it look not, you know, cheesy, like, it. you know, I don't feel like it is in the book, but... You know, I think, I think that whenever you're showing the hero's journey, he has to really show his, his heroism has to, has to show. And so I feel like, you know, Dan will, will have a good challenge in part two. I, I mean, I agree with some of what she's saying because if you look at, uh, Hermione having to wipe her parents' memories away, you know, talking on the character side of things, this is something that she's never had to experience before. You know, uh, Ron leaving his family and, you know, the potential for things to happen to them, like you saw what happened with George. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree, but I mean, Dan's character did change a lot in this film too. I mean, he had the, the scene near the start when he felt really guilty when Moody was died and he sort of blamed himself for it. Then he had the big fallout with Ron and, and going to his parents' graves. I mean, there's plenty of opportunities for Dan to show emotion and his character to change. I just think those two did it better. Yeah, I mean, but to see, I don't know, because I think part of her argument doesn't work because uh, Harry has gone through so much more than Hermione or Ron ever will, you know, in, in, in terms of losing people that are close to him and, and sort of the uh, maturing at a much faster rate. Um, you know, you can debate w- about Hermione, but if you're saying that, you know, that he's done a great acting job in that sense up until this point, then it it doesn't make sense to say now it's been consistent. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I mean, it's almost like in the films, Dan sort of accepted his poor fate in the past. And he sort of went, yeah, all right, fine, it's going to happen. Well, the other two are actually, you know, generally worried. I, don't, I, I just think she's saying that maybe this was just a movie for the Ron and Hermione character. That it just seems like we like we forget, you know, to, there's nothing that we really point out Dan's acting as being because we're we're so focused on all the good things we have about Rupert and Emma. So she's not saying that Dan... She's saying Dan doesn't necessarily stand out, but it doesn't mean he's bad. I don't want any more hate mail, so... <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. That's fine. I mean, you know, and some people who who genuinely don't like Dan is Harry, like, you know, with the dancing and the... You know, people, people mention the dancing scene. I love that scene, but that's just me. And, you know, people really think it's cheesy and, and that, that that kind of aspect that Dan brings to Harry is some people don't like, but that's okay. You know, that's okay. That's why we have these these podcasts. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, if you're saying that a lot of people have been saying that his acting wasn't up to scratch. But I think then... she means us. I really think she means <laughs> us. <laughs> but but, but that, the very next section says, but his acting has been consistent throughout all the films. But... I agree with that, though. I agree with that. Consistent. I do, too. Really, really the, has. The, he I mean, was their friend line. That was good. Shut up. Well, listen, kid. there's Just... only so much you can do with some with some writing, with with that kind of writing. You know, Harry. You could s- cut it. Harry, well, but Alfonso yeah, wanted Quaron it. Yeah, but didn't. And so I, actually, I thought it was okay. I didn't mind it that much. 
It he was is their friend. It is important that he was their friend. It, that's about the only backstory we have in that freaking movie. So yeah, I think it's it's an incredibly important line. All right, the final email today is from Brooke, eighteen of Milford, Michigan. I was wondering if you guys guys could share your thoughts on part two of the final movie coming next summer. I have not been able to find any info about someone cast as young Severus Snape. Could this be normal that it is not listed anywhere, or could they have cut this storyline out? What do you think the chances are that they did leave that out? Snape's storyline, to me, is one of Rowling's shining moments, and it would be insulting to the series to end the films with the lingering question of Snape's alliance. Or even worse, the thought that he really is evil. Do you believe there's going to be anything else missing that the fans should brace themselves for? Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Love you all, Brooke. Well, I, I think they will include that bit, because they did include the doe finding the sword which we know came from Snape, so it seemed a little silly to introduce that without telling you why. Well, if, if it's any consolation, they've cast a young Lily Evans, so if they cast her, I think they will eventually uh, cast a young Severus nice Snape. If they haven't uh, already, let me take a look here. Well, it was only just revealed that the actress who will be playing Helena Ravenclaw was, was, was fairly big news recently. Um, you know, they're still announcing these these castings who will play you know, and and that you know we know Harry meets Helena Ravenclaw, uh, who is the Grey Lady at the end. You know, in the Battle of Hogwarts, which is the same time he finds out you know about the backstory. So so a lot of these actors and actresses, you know, maybe they were told to keep silent, you know, and things like that. News is still coming out about casting for this film, even though they finished filming it six months ago. Right. No, I I think that that's important to to recognize, and you know, sometimes we don't get those pieces of information until late in the game. Um, but right now, I don't see anything else on our casting page for Snape uh, other than Alan Rickman. Uh, well, so. who's playing young Lily? They they tend to not even want to announce these for some reason. Ellie I don't know. Darcy Alden. There we go. So so she has been. Cast. I love her. So that's it for emails. Let's we have some tweets now, and then we'll get to the uh, weird places people listen to MuggleCast. Uh, first one from Marina Two, or just from Marina. As a relatively new listener, I would love to know what each of the hosts' favorite books and movies of the series are. I guess it's good to ever update everyone every once in a while. <laughs> um, personally, for me, Order of the Phoenix is my favorite book, and Part 2 is my favorite film. I think, Even uh, though for it's me, not out yet. Right, but I just know it's going to be my favorite, so why oh, bother pretending that. another Come one? On. <laughs> no, I really, I really do think it's going to be my favorite. I don't think... From everything we've seen, I just... Okay, but so far, what has been your favorite film? Because I'm curious Um, Sorcerer's Stone. Wow. So the movie's only got worse for you. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, I would say part one is right up there, but... Yeah. um, uh, That's cool. Yeah, I don't want to say until part two comes out, so... Well, I feel like too many people don't credit the first few movies as being good, you know, because they're so young. But, well, I think now more than ever, it's sort of like sentimental, and it's good because they're so they're so whimsical, and um, you're learning everything for the first time, and they're learning everything for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, my book is uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, and my movie is Deathly Hallows Part One. Yeah, I, I mean, my my favorite book definitely Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, and then movie. Well, I probably can't say Part One after. Uh, the way I reviewed it, um, I have to see it again. But probably Half Blood Prince for right now. Yeah, I think both of my book and movie the same. It's Art of the Phoenix. Interesting. Yeah, I I, I really wanted to enjoy the the movie version of of Order of the Phoenix, but I just I couldn't. I really liked it actually. I loved it. 
Okay, next tweet from Felicia Grogan. Was wondering why Dobby had to manually unscrew the chandelier instead of just snapping his fingers to drop it. More drama. And he gets yeah, to have that line. It's funnier to see it's him funnier, up there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Plus, maybe, uh, I don't know. I, I just thought it showed knowledge of the the place he used to be a house elf for, you know? That, that he knows exactly where the, the screw is. He can't, he doesn't need to, like, stand 50 feet away and drop it. Like, it's more, it's more dramatic, you know? Yeah, it's funny seeing him up there trying to figure it out and everyone's looking up at him and the, the audience laughs. Next tweet from Chrissy. Who would you cast for the trio if you could go back 10 years or any other characters? What do you mean? Like, if you could prevent certain if, actors no, from being cast? No, like, if you could have cast Harry Potter, who would you have used? I would cast myself. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, I guess that's an easy question, right? We all would want to be Harry Potter so we could be the richest uh, <laughs> uh, young adult actor in in the world. <laughs> I, I, do you guys remember Haley Joel Osment? That was a big contender for yeah. Harry Potter. Yeah. And see, well, the other thing is, though, it's come out now that Steven Spielberg was going to do like an animated version of Harry Potter. He was, yeah, they were like in talks. So Haley yeah. Joel would have provided the voice of Harry. So that's important. Well, but Joe's always said they, it has to be an all British cast, which was so, a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's more authentic. So, I mean, I'm not really up on British actors to be honest. Yeah, no, and I don't, I don't, I don't know of any that they haven't included. Yeah, I mean, they've gotten such a wide array of people. But I would like to say the one British actor I'm a big fan of, she's in all the Bond movies. She's Bond's, uh, uh she plays Q, I think. Jody, Judy Dench, no. M? Judy no, Dench. It's M. Yeah. Yeah, M. <laughs> Z? T? No, yeah, Judy Dench. <laughs> I, I would have, I was really hoping to see her. I thought she may have been the one, woman who would play, uh, McGonagall? Uh, Oh, well, yeah, McGonagall would have been great, or um, the Grey Lady. I think she would have been great uh, for that, too. Yeah, maybe. Except the Grey Lady was quite young when she died. But I feel like uh, Judy Dench, the, the actress who plays Madame Hooch, uh, reminds me of Judy Dench a lot. Oh, um, Zoe Wanamaker. Yeah, I, I have to I have to consciously remind myself that that's not Judy Dench when I'm watching it. Um, because they look I, very know, similar. They, look, they do, they do. What about uh, Sean Connery as Dumbledore? <laughs> yeah, except he's retired from acting. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's Well, this is 10 years ago. <laughs> he would that's be retired point. then. It, it, it's before League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, so... <laughs> or he, he could have been a good Death Eater, probably. Next is from Stephen R., I'd like to hear what you're expecting for 2011, which actually we kind of answered already, and whether Sims is thinking, don't let it be July again for DH Part 2. If, if uh, everybody remembers, um, before the book set, before book 7 came out, I made a Wizard Rock song called Don't Let It Be July, and it was to the tune of Bye 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 by NSYNC, and I was like, don't let it be July. So I guess it'll kind of apply again to this summer <laughs> maybe i should retune it or just replay it on the show but um yeah I, I mean yeah we talked about it a little bit before but but what else is there really besides the movie i mean the dvd oh uh, the dvd two dvds in one year what, probably three some and more four, ultimate editions yeah yeah some more ultimate editions and maybe an encyclopedia if we're very very lucky <laughs> another another really well uh programmed video game I'm sure uh, yes, that <laughs> oh, electronic <come> arts <laughs> and I'm sure some other like side books like there were this year maybe some uh, Lego Harry Potter years 5 to 7 <laughs> 
Maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, because, I mean, that was a big hit, so you would think they're going to do 5 to 7. Uh, yeah, so hopefully we can look forward to that. All right, final tweet from Jesse. Do you think we'll see the Malfoy family reunite at the end of part two? It's a brief but powerful moment in the book. Don't we have to? Because of Narcissa Malfoy's role in the second part of the book? They could cut that out, though. Well, that's that's significant, though. That's extremely significant, where Harry's supposed to be dead. She sees him breathing, asks how Draco is, if Draco's alive, and he says yes, and then she tells the Dark Lord that Harry's dead. So that, you know, they... That oh. that That is this, the key reason that, that, that Harry even survives is because of Narcissa Malfoy. So, yeah, I feel like the Malfoys were paid attention to in the in the first, in part one, enough that, that it'll have a payoff in part two. They were pretty well featured in uh, part one as well. I mean, in the, you know, in Malfoy Manor, I mean, they were pretty, they were, they were very prominent. So I think that's a good sign for part two. Just the fact that they've, they've asked so many other reprieves for characters, I wouldn't be surprised if they got rid of this one as well. I hope they don't, but I wouldn't be surprised. Well, didn't, didn't Jason Isaac say in an interview that uh, there's a there's like a different ending for his character? Yeah, he said he asked he asked the filmmakers um he asked the filmmakers if they could make an adjustment. So, but but I I asked um, David Barron on set about that, and I'm not allowed to reveal his answer until we're posting the set report. So I'll just leave it at that. But. Don't get we, too excited. We, we That's what I'll, say. I'll, I'll just say don't get too excited. <laughs> well, I know I know Jason, you know, cares about his character a lot. So, I mean, he he had, Jason had a there's an article about this we we posted recently about uh the 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 trials that, that he went through to to create the Lucius character with the you know, the blonde wig was was basically Jason Isaac's idea um because they were going to have sort of a well-dressed um short black-haired, you know, uh, male and and the, the you know everything from the wig onward you know probably the cane came out of the collaboration between the actor and the you know because he was passionate about the books so I think even in the books he's not described as quite like he is in the movie um, but the movie I feel is is so iconic uh, the Lucius Malfoy character okay so to wrap up the show what we've been promising for so long weird places people listen to MuggleCast this first one comes from Becky 19 of Brentwood England Hey guys, I was listening to MuggleCast 213 yesterday, and you were chatting about odd places to have listened to MuggleCast. Giggling away to myself about this on the tube, I got off and realized it was a perfect opportunity to write in. I made my boyfriend take a picture of me listening to MuggleCast at Wembley Stadium at an England football match last night. She has a link to the photo here. I mean, we lost to France, but hey, I've got the full Deathly Hallows Part 1 podcast review show to look forward to, as well as the film itself. Keep up the amazing work. And look at that picture. Uh, but thank you, um, Becky, for sending in that photo. Yeah, I do. And we hope you uh, that 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 is a weird place. And a sporting event. To it there we go. At stadiums, that. you know. Yeah. Next one comes from Sarah Sixteen in Massachusetts. Hey, MuggleCast, love the show. I've been on a Harry Potter on a Harry Potter obsession since the movie release has been getting close. Anyway, I'm just responding to the unique things location, <laughs> unique locations thing. So my unique location is every week I volunteer at the library. It's so boring. Ever since I discovered MuggleCast, I've been sneaking listening to episodes of the podcast while I'm putting away books by myself in the back corner. Thank you for saving me from dying of boredom, XOXO Sarah. Well, there will always be books to put away, just like there will always be episodes of MuggleCast to listen to. Isn't that right, Andrew? Yes, that's right. Now you can listen in the back corner. 
like this one. Next one from Milani or Melanie, either Milani or Melanie. Age 14 from South Brunswick, New Jersey. That near you, Andrew? No. Hey, guys. I'm a huge fan of MuggleCast, and lately I've been listening to you in the bathroom while I shower. Other times are a bit odd. Countless times I've listened to your podcast and slipped and fallen in the shower because I was laughing so hard, and my mom would come running up the stairs to see if I was okay, only to hear the shower running still and me cackling. Just thought these little incidents would put a small smile on your faces. Thanks so much, and keep up the super mega foxy awesome hot work. Wow. Love you guys. (laughs) (laughs) In the shower. And, uh... Final uh, submission comes from Silk or Silky, probably Silky, 23 of Austria, and they say, I started listening to MuggleCast when I was 19 and still lived in New York. When I was not quite 21, I moved to Europe, and I'm still listening to you guys at the age of 23. I don't know how many listeners you have from foreign countries, but I guess Austria is quite odd. Hearing an American voice every now and then makes me feel at home, so thanks. So uh Austria. So they chose uh places as country instead of, you know, in the bathroom or shower or supermarket. <laughs> Thank you everyone for sending in those kind weird locations. I, I you know, I'm a big podcast listener myself and I'm trying to think weird pla I mean, I'm always listening on planes, trains, automobiles before I go to bed. Just during the day, randomly. While I'm doing the dishes, I guess, I don't know if that considered, that's considered a weird place. Yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. It only depends on what you're washing, I guess, dishes. No, wise. no, because, you know, usually it takes like 20 minutes, so it's a good thing to listen to. Because you don't need to, it's one of those things, you know, you don't, it's, it, podcasts are great for when you can't sit in front of a TV. Right. To get your entertainment, so like you're sort of mobile. Um, so yeah. And it's, yeah. it's interesting this, this girl had, had been listening to us, you know, for, I guess she said four years. She's in Austria now. You know, to think of our, our, our podcast as providing this, this wholesome American entertainment, you know, with our American voices being like, like home to her is, 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 you know, makes me feel really good. And finally today, chicken soup from the Muggle Castle. This comes from Courtney. I'm writing into you guys for the first time today, even though I've been a listener for years. I guess I've never really had the need to before. I just listen to the show as it comes and love every part of it. MuggleCast is a part of my life. That sounds strange to say, but it's true. It's one of those things that makes you happy regardless of the other troubles in the day. MuggleCast has brought me something that I am so thankful for, one of my best friends, Valeria. We knew each other before, but when we found out that we both listened to MuggleCast, we became best friends. For us, it was great. We had someone who we could talk about Harry Potter with all the time. We would talk about the latest episodes on the bus rides to school and at lunch and fantasize about going to Infinitus. Infinitus. We did end up going to Infinitus together over the summer and had some of the best times of our lives, including meeting you guys. I can't truly explain how much our friendship and the show meant to me. Coming up on December 12th, which of course is now past, is an important date, Valeria's 17th birthday. I was wondering if you could please wish her a happy birthday. I knew it would, I know it would mean so much to her. Thank you guys for your show. It's a wonderfully entertaining thing to listen to. So happy birthday, Valeria. And uh, sorry, we I, I told your friend Courtney we were going to read this on the last episode, but it was my mistake. I, I made a mistake. So there you go. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Valeria. And with that, we've come to the end of our final show of 2010. We want to remind you to visit microcast.com because you'll find all the information you'd like to learn about this show. You can 
uh, click on contact right at the top to fill out the feedback form and you can send us an email and maybe we'll read it just like we did multiple times today for several people who emailed in. We also have links on the right side to subscribe and review us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, and like us on Facebook. And by doing all three of those things, you'll be kept up to date on the latest episodes, uh, when we're recording the next episodes, uh, lots more. And when, when you know the new episodes are out. And lots more to be found on MuggleCast.com, including something we don't plug enough, plug enough the Wall of Fame. If you look on towards the bottom of the right sidebar, you'll see the Wall of Fame area. And there, you can click the link and see a full page of what we and our listeners find to be the best episodes. Yes. And I think we have 15 or 20 here. We haven't updated it recently. We should add a new one, uh, at least one for 2010. We don't have any, but well, we I, very much our David Heyman interview in 200. You know, he may have a film or two that are coming out in 2011 to look forward to, ah, even yes, if you just want to yes. follow, you know, him. So I would check the interview for that. And that was in episode 200, our landmark episode. So visit MuggleCast.com for everything MuggleCast. And we thank everyone for listening to another year. It's weird to think we've now been through five or six full years of MuggleCast. We were in 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010. Yeah, so six years no, but I mean, 05 we've to been 06. in 06 to 07, we, 07 to 08, 08 to 09, and 09 to 010. Yeah, five years. No, but I mean, <laughs> oh, not, we, not we calendar years? six full yes, years. Yes, yeah. six, or we will spend. Yeah, we've six spanned. Thank you. All right, I'm sorry, I just but, didn't uh, understand that. Yeah, sorry. No, it's I it's been it. a lot of fun. So uh, more to come in 2011. Thanks everyone for listening. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Mike Tadabel. I'm Eric Skull, and I'm Richard Reed. We will see you Happy in the new, new year. year. Happy New Year. La-di-da. Happy New Year.